Welcome back to the Therapeutic Parenting Podcast from COECT, the Centre of Excellence in Child Trauma. We are committed to providing people living and working with child trauma with proven strategies to achieve the best possible outcomes for families. I'm Serena Gay, your host, and today I'm talking to Rosie Jeffries. Rosie is the Managing Director of COECT and is herself a child from a traumatised background who, after living with a foster family, was finally adopted alongside her four siblings. And she went on to grow up to be the successful mother and businesswoman that she is today. Her adoptive mother is, in fact, Sarah Naish, the CEO of COECT. Rosie and Sarah have published books together about their experiences on both sides of the adoptive fence, and Rosie speaks frequently on different platforms about her upbringing and the lessons it holds for all in the therapeutic parenting world. On today's podcast episode, Rosie is going to give us a really important insight into the mind of the child as they leave behind them, or at least we hope they do, the chaos and pain of their early lives to enter a new situation and hopefully their forever family. Welcome to the podcast, Rosie. Thank you for having me today, Serena. Well, uh, it's really good to have you on, Rosie, and I know that you have a lot of genuine value to give. But perhaps I could start by asking you about your own background. Um, you, the eldest of five siblings, why did you find yourselves in need of a new family? Well, when I first entered the care system, I was six years old, and this was because my birth parents had been arrested for child cruelty and neglect uh, following the murder of two of my siblings and one of my cousins. I then went to live in foster care with one of my siblings, and three of my siblings went to go and live in foster care elsewhere, whilst we await a forever family, we were told. And at the age of six, I was told that this probably was unlikely. Wow, that was an extraordinary thing to be told. And yet, as it turned out, things developed quite differently. Definitely, yes. I'm obviously now an adopted adult. Um, I'd been adopted by my mum, Sarah Nish, who you'd introduced earlier. And um, yeah, we did get a forever family, but obviously we had a rocky journey to that point. So as you and, well, it was you and your sister, was it not, who, who joined your other three siblings who had already been adopted by Sarah. So you came late, really, into the mix. Can you talk us through what um, your memories were of the moment when you were eight years old, when you were accepted into Sarah's home? How did it all happen for you? For me, this was a very scary time. Um, as I had mentioned, my birth parents had um, murdered two of my siblings. So for me, when children went missing, this often often meant they'd passed away. So when we were separated to our foster families and then my siblings, three younger siblings were adopted, I actually didn't know that they were alive. Nobody told me anything about them until we went to contact and saw that they were alive, uh, they were fine and they were being fostered. Um, I then found out that they were going to be adopted by my mum and her then husband, Paul, and uh, I was certainly nervous about this and anxious and worried for them because who are these adults? How do I know that they're going to keep them safe? As far as I'm aware, adults are dangerous and scary and are not to be trusted. And um, 
obviously me then joining the family afterwards once we found out um, that we were going to be adopted by uh, mum and Paul um, that definitely was for me um, a very anxious time because I then had to move into somebody's uh, family somebody's home um, and looking back now it's actually a really bizarre feeling I'm sure we can all connect with that if we were told that we were going to go and live with someone else uh, forever um, we also then had to refer to them as mum and dad and accept them into our lives and trust them I think you'd all feel like oh cool blimey that's a really bizarre thing to expect of someone after a few visits um, so yeah it definitely was a very uh, weird time that came with a lot of emotions yes it is a lot to expect isn't it of a young child especially if you've kept them in the dark really about about their siblings and about you know life generally at that age you don't have an understanding of the whole gamut of uh, of what's possible out there so how do you feel you were prepared then for the actual day of moving in or or weren't you for me, my memories are a bit scattered and a bit scarce. And that's partly because obviously I was still in a state of trauma. And as we know, memories are not stored. For me, I do remember when I moved into my parents' house, it was like an alien planet. It was nothing I'd ever experienced before. It was a huge house. It was clean. It was calm. It was not dangerous. And most importantly for me, the one thing I remember is it felt bright. In my birth parents' home, the curtains had always been closed and it was very dark. And obviously, this is to keep people out so people couldn't look in, how they lived, all of those things. And it was literally like a complete opposite to what I had known. And it was really bizarre. And I'll never forget that feeling of that house and how it felt. Given that you were coming from this dark background, and that might be the case for many a traumatised child in a similar situation, what can the adoptive parents do to ease the transfer or to ease the moment when they arrive in the house, make it easier for them? If anyone knows the Centre of Excellence in Child Trauma, they know we like analogies. And this is my analogy that I use about helping children to feel safe and secure in a relationship and I think that's the main thing that needs to be done when a child moves into a family they need to learn to feel safe this isn't something that can be done overnight in a week in a month it's something that takes a very long time so my analogy is is if you imagine a Russian river and it's flowing and flowing and flowing and that that, that river is the river of trust, the river of safety. And you want to keep as much of it as possible. You want that child to feel safe, secure, and to feel all the trust they can in you because they can, they just don't know it yet. And the best way to keep water in one place is to build a dam of boundaries, structure, and routine. And those blocks will help keep the water in. And it's something you have to do time and time again, like laying the bricks of a dam and boundary, structure, routine. And once the children start to feel safe and that trust builds up, there's a lot more that you can do. But a child just needs to feel part of a family, feel safe and feel like they can trust the people. So building up the trust really uh, applies from the very moment that the child appears on the threshold 
of its new home. So what are the first, very first steps that an adoptive parent should be taking to make it work? There's a lot of things that I think families think they need to do and are advised to do. And whilst I don't uh, discredit therapies, I discredit them at the beginning of a child joining a family. And like I said, they need to trust, they need to feel safe and they need that dam built so they can have that. So most importantly, we need to be focusing on a normal life for them, easing them into life, easing them into school, easing them into your family setup, easing them into a normally normal family setup. Because often enough, children are coming from what people would describe as unsafe parenting or not good parenting so we need to be showing the children what safe parenting looks like what therapeutic parenting looks like and what they can expect and if we're adding other adults into the mix and therapies it doesn't give us a chance as children to trust you feel safe it's always bringing up the fact that they were a child from trauma they were in care they have these problems and they need to be sorted out and actually the most important thing that they need to feel is safe and that somebody's going to look after them and meet their needs. So it's not to say that therapy isn't useful and it shouldn't be done, but therapy can be done at a later point when they're an adult, they feel safe in their relationship with you or maybe a teen, um, and they can explore that safely with a therapist. But when they're four, five, six, eleven, twelve, 12, any age, and they've just entered your family and you start therapy, it's a very scary, horrible, time and often I remember as a child it would happen during the day so I would have to leave school and obviously everybody knew I was going off to have therapy and they knew I was adopted and for me that was a really difficult thing to overcome and I know that there are children that speak freely about being adopted but for me when I was a child it was definitely something I was ashamed of and I was anxious about anyone finding out. So my my message would be to anyone joining for anyone having a child joining their family just parent them ease them into life ease them into what your life is you might have to take things a bit slower than what you first thought maybe you can't go and see all relatives the same week um maybe they need to not start school straight away ideally so they can settle into your family um, you know, I'd be thinking about how you would have felt as a child if somebody uprooted you from your family and said, you've now got to go and live in another family and be happy about it and get on with life and not have any problems. And if you're a securely attached person, you wouldn't have come from a place of trauma. So they've got all of that baggage coming with them as well. So it's a very anxious time that needs to be handled very carefully and um, certainly implementing the basic levels of therapeutic parenting that I've mentioned already about a structure, a routine and boundaries will help that child to feel safe and to know who is in charge and who they can learn to trust quickly. So you were the eldest of five siblings in the family that you moved into and and I'm sure that you felt protective towards your siblings. What should adoptive parents expect when they take in a family group like yours? How how can it complicate the settling in process? This was very difficult for me as a long time ago, I'd learned to be self-sufficient. This also meant caring for my siblings, keeping them safe, feeding them, cleaning them and so on. 
For me, this was all before the age of six years old. And now as a parent myself of a four-year-old, it makes me feel really sad for little me that I had to go through this. The level of involvement I had must have been very hard for a child of that age. And I had that throughout my whole life till six years old. Because of this, I obviously felt very protective of my siblings. And this often caused a lot of battles between myself and my mum. Obviously, she adopted us and wanted to have children and wanted to be in the mum role. Once I joined the family, this was very difficult for me because that relationship had already been established between myself and my siblings. So I certainly felt like I was the protector of the family and needed to meet their needs. And in tow, my siblings also did come to me for those needs to be met as well. So again, as a mum, thinking about how that must feel, that must have been really difficult for my mum because she started her family, she had adopted children and was ready to start the family journey. And there was this hump in the road that we couldn't overcome. So obviously, her mum had ex has explained in previous books and podcasts and everything that she did have a knowledge around um, social work and what the what children from trauma had been through. So I think this armed her a little bit and helped her. But I, th I also know that she felt completely out of her depth because she felt that with enough love, care and attention, things would get you know back to normal yeah. quite quickly. And, and it took a long time. And that thing for us did take a long time because for me, that was part of my makeup. That was part of who I was. I was Rosie, the parent. So mum had to do a lot of work with me, a lot of name and the need explaining that I was allowed to be a child again and what that looked like and the things I had to do. And that also meant a lot of difficult conversations with my siblings that I had to hear. And obviously she didn't do it in a, in a mean, meanful way, but it, it was really difficult to hear when my mum said, so if you need a drink, you come to mum, you don't go to Rosie. Um, and Rosie, if um, William comes to you, need him for a drink, come and tell me because that's the mum's role. And so I had to learn about these different roles in the family and whose role was what. And I do remember a lot of sadness around that. And I also felt, well, what is my job now? What is my purpose? What am I here for? Because as far as I'm concerned, that is my my purpose within this family. And for me as an adult now, it's brought a lot of difficulties with my son. He wants me to sit and play games with him. And it actually feels so uncomfortable. And I then have to rush off and go do something busy because I believe myself, this is how it feels to me that because I never was a child, I never learned to play. So therefore when my son's asking me to engage with him in that way, is actually really difficult and obviously that doesn't mean I then go I'm not going to play with you but it feels like there's something uncomfortable within my body that doesn't fit right because those um I never had that opportunity in my early childhood and once I was adopted I did but six years of my life wasn't being a child so to implement that it it was really really difficult so it's just to be mindful about where children have come from, what they've experienced and also their roles within the family. Because for me, I was the parent role, but my siblings had different roles within the families, for example. Because mum did have a level of knowledge and I think it's like anything, if you've never experienced it, you don't know what it's like until you do. So she had to learn very quickly and 
it, there was a lot of upset around that and we had to learn together and I do remember times where both mum and I would cry together about it because she would say how she does want to be the, the mum role but because she knows I can't trust her I don't feel safe therefore I'm not going to allow her anywhere near my siblings or give her that level of trust to look after them so there was a lot of times when I think she had to do things in an overtop way to you know so she would be like so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and make your sister's bottle because she needs some milk and as I'm mum I've spotted that need and I now need to make sure that she's fed so I can look after her and so she knows that mum will meet her needs so yeah there was a lot of things that had to be maybe role played or shared to keep me updated with what was going on so therefore because my mum had stepped into that mum role this did give me t time to learn to be a child and like I've said I haven't done that fully but I certainly have a lot of fond memories of us at the seaside playing and I would go in the sea and I remember times when uh, we would go off for picnics in the woods with my siblings and have a really good time so it wasn't that I was in this robot parent mode um, but it was almost like having to walk again I was having to learn to be a child um, and it did take a little while. But with the support of my mum, I definitely got there to a point where I could sit and, you know, play with a game or didn't need to be aware of what was going on in terms of a mum mode. And funnily enough, now, as a grown up, my siblings um, would ask me things that certainly they should be asking my mum. And I go, I'm not your mum. Don't ask me. Go and ask mum. Right. So um, I'm quite happy to be relieved of that, especially as I'm now a mum myself. <laughs> I don't want extra. Oh, that's fantastic that, that that's come round full circle in a sense. So, I mean, you have genuinely, in my mind, fulfilled your potential despite your early history. Do, do you feel that it's all behind you or, or does it come back sometimes to haunt you in some way, your unhappy experiences at the start? I really wish I could say it does go away, but I think because I quite like to use positives, for me, this is who I am. This, that's the makeup of me now. And I can definitely take a lot of positives from uh, what's happened to me in my early life. So for example, I'm very hypervigilant. You can't get anything past me. So it's actually really beneficial in my job role. Um, I can hear everything going on in an office and I, I know when, you know, there's a conversation going on that I need to be aware of and we'll quickly hop in. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of positives I can take from what's come from it. In terms of the the trauma and the memories and, and the not nice things that happened, of course I will have those, like anyone has their memories, they will always be with me. But they don't define me in the sense that I'm a, a victim of trauma. As far as I'm concerned, I'm a survivor of trauma. And I continue to to be one. But every now and then I do have hiccups where because of my past, I have trauma seizures. There are little bumps in the road. And sometimes there's things that trigger me in life. For example, I have a, a an issue with flies and I find them very triggering. And if, for example, I have flies in my house and people come into my house, I'm get very dysregulated around that because I'm worried of what people think of me because obviously where I came from 
it was fly infested. So there's a lot of things that you can that happen in life that you can kind of go, well, you know, fair enough that that happened. And, you know, we all have, you know, scars that carry through us through life. And that's one of those. But the best thing of all is because my mum has therapeutically reparented me, it has given me tools to understand those. So when that does happen, I don't fall into a shame pit and reject people and say nasty things and do bad things and decide I'm then a victim of trauma and my behaviour replicate it. I go, ah, oh, this flies again, or ah, oh, I can see why, because that person said X, Y, Z, or because this has happened, it's made me wobble. I, I feel a bit, it's, it's connected to something in my early life. And as soon as I do that, you know, using name and the need, it really helps me to come out of it. And how I describe it, and actually my therapist, Sarah Dillon, who you heard last week, yes. explained it is that little Rosie feels a bit, you know, out of sort because it's connected to something in her early life. So what I do is big Rosie is a securely attached adult now that understands what's going on and isn't affected by that and isn't scared by my trauma. I go in and give her a cuddle and say, it's all right. We're here together. We'll get through it. It's fine. And that's what therapeutic parenting does. It allows you to connect with that person inside you to, you know, to help both parties understand what's going on and to get over it and to give you a, a different dialogue. Because otherwise the dialogue you have is that you're bad, it's your fault and you don't deserve anything. Oh, well, it's great to end on that positive note uh, to know that you are now where you are at and that you've been able to move forward. Thank you, Rosie. That's been a, such an interesting interview today. To find out more about COECT and to access help, please visit www.coect.co.uk or head straight for the Facebook page where you can get answers 24-7, including at weekends and on public holidays. The Facebook link is either at the end of the Daily Bulletin, emailed by COECT to you, or in the show notes to this podcast episode. The podcast is listed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music. Find us on one of those sites and you'll also find the subscribe button to press to automatically receive this podcast every week. We'd love you to leave a review for the podcast on one of those sites. It'll help other people find us and find all our helpful advice. Bye for now.